We are back with another edition of Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com, our Ohio State podcast. This is Doug Lee Maurice with Ari Wasserman and Bill Landis. And um, I was going to try to pull up my Twitter account here. I, I asked people last week if our podcast would be better if we swore. Oh. And uh, it definitely got more – it was definitely yes was the final vote. So – so uh, farts, I don't farts. know boobs. What? What can boobs? <laughs> okay. I mean, like, uh, can we say like the a word? What's the? Uh, there's that thing in the. Uh, there's a scene in The Simpsons from like 15 years ago where Homer's like has a daycare and he says, "If you're happy and you know it, say a swear." And they go around the circle, and I think like someone says boobs, someone says farts, and then the dumb kid says mitten. <laughs> so in our family, we all, we treat the word "mitten" as a swear word because um, we think that's funny. So can we say a real? Well, let swear me ask word? you this, Doug, because you're like the elder statesman on the beat. Yeah. Are we permitted? If I just drop an f bomb right now, I don't know. Am I going to get in trouble? With I my boss? have listened to a lot of popular podcasts where they drop f bombs all over the place. Now, I also listened to a West Wing podcast where they swore in the beginning. And now as they've gotten more popular, they bleep out their swears. Really? Because I think they're more mainstream. But I have read especially – I've listened to sports podcasts where they're dropping the S word and the F word all over the place. Because I will I say that like our podcast manifested based on the way that we talk to each other in the car on long road trips, I think. And I feel like at times when we're butting heads or something and we get into a heated of the moment discussion that – it can be added, but I think that the discussion the three of us have had about swearing is about not forcing it and letting it flow. Because I let them roll sometimes, you know. I mean, we're all humans. Uh, yeah. But it has to be in the flow of a natural discussion. You can't just start saying it for the sake. If of you saying. if you listen to, and I think some of the podcasts that Doug's talking about are the ones that are on Bill Simmons Network, and they definitely force in swear words, and it's noticeable and it's uncomfortable. Um, I will say, I I don't know. I think an f bomb won't fly, but I think. I listened to uh, the M Live Michigan podcast. It's done by Nick Baumgartner and Brendan Quinn. And uh, Brendan Quinn, uh, like myself, has a filthy Philadelphia mouth. And he's dropped an A A bomb every now and then. A bomb, A bomb. Like that's di- that's different than poop and boobs. <laughs> we're just talking about. <laughs> you are like you are. <laughs> boobs is like yeah, that one. <laughs> you are an A. Like you are an A. No, like in reference like to no, no, no. Like in reference to him, like like a little self-deprecation and calls himself an a-hole. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. But that's like a Philadelphia term, right? That's not even a curse word in Philly. No, that's, that's like saying true. that's like saying hello. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the, the, actually, it was two hundred and ninety-nine Twitter votes we got. Would our podcast be better if we swore? Forty-six percent yes, thirty-nine percent no. 15% said it's terrible either way. So, uh, <laughs> I'm happy with those numbers. So maybe we'll maybe just keep listening for the whole 45 yeah. or 50 minutes and maybe we'll drop some uh, some swear words on you later. Uh, we're going to talk about the best players on Ohio State. We're keeping the positive uh, mojo rolling. We, t- we had our Awesome Awesome podcast two weeks ago where we talked about how awesome they are. Uh, last week we said, they're Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> They're three and zero, which is way more <laughs> awesome than saying they're awesome. Yeah, yeah. Both are the A word, awesome and Alabama. Um, so now we're going to talk about the best players on this team. This is such an interesting team. I think this year, I think uh, they're playing better than 
any of us expected early in the year. Um, I don't know how far out over your skis you want to get about this team uh, because you could see, I think, the individual superstardom of guys the last couple of years very easily. And as we sat down to think about this, we are going to re-rank the entire top 50 players on the roster. We did that before the season. We'll have uh, 50 through 31 went up on Cleveland.com on Tuesday. We'll have 30 through 11 uh, with this podcast Wednesday morning. And then the top 10 will drop on Thursday. We did that before the season. It was really hard to do before the season, but I feel like it's still hard to do now. We're going to give you our top 10. But, Bill, this was not this was not an easy exercise, right? Because for as well as the team is playing, I don't know that they have 10 superstars that have popped so clearly so far in three games. Yeah, I thought it was really difficult, actually. I think there are, there are names that, that come to mind, I think, pretty easily, but then ranking them in order was difficult. Um, I'll just say the names because you know who they are. Like Curtis Samuel, JT Barrett, Ray Cole McMillan, Gary on Conley are all guys you instantly think about, but like, which one would you rank first? Who's like, who is the best player on that list? And that was really difficult because we have three games, and while there have been moments, there hasn't been, for the most part, guys, like you said, who have really, really stood out above the rest. So and the thing was, is, like, hard. I think that we probably ranked them differently. Like, from, like, a different thought process. Yeah, We all did it individually on our own, which we were going to share, and we're going to break them down one by one. We haven't told each other what our top tens are, but maybe the fact that Marshawn Lattimore has three picks in the last two games and a touchdown might have been, you know, been a, a bigger indicator to one of us than the other two. So it'll be interesting to see and, how we agree. And then you know that, but, like, is every single play, is Marshawn Lattimore awesome? I don't know. Like, uh, someone yeah. like... Uh, this will be an interesting name to see where we land on Noah Brown. Noah Brown has five touchdown catches catches this year. Four of them were against Oklahoma. He has nine catches the whole year. So he's averaging three catches per game. Does that make him a superstar? I, you know, I don't know. So, But uh, I also think that it's very difficult to, and I agree with that, but the place that I had the hardest time with, I felt like when I was going through the list, was offensive linemen. Because we know... Like, Billy Price is good, right? I don't think so. know yeah. how awesome or how bad or how, you know, like, I can't tell as a sports reporter how proficiently somebody's playing a guard position. And I'm assuming that he is what they thought he was going to be, but it's also very hard for us to gauge. I mean, there's a lot of things going on on, on the field at once. And, uh, you know, so when it comes to, like, where do you rank Billy Price? Like, that's a tough, tough decision. So, I don't know. Do you think we should... Reveal what we had at the beginning first. Yeah, let's talk. So we, again, before the season, and you can find this on Cleveland.com, Bill will put the links in with this. Yeah. Um, if you came to this podcast through Cleveland.com, you can subscribe to us to Buckeye Talk on iTunes, or you can find us every week when we post it at Cleveland.com slash OSU on Wednesday morning. So Bill will have the links in there to our previous preseason top 50. But Bill... What was our preseason top 10, starting with number 10? Okay, uh, number 10 was Cameron Johnston, the punter. Number 9 was Noah Brown. Number 8 was Billy Price. Number 7 was defensive end Tyquan Lewis. Number 6 was H-back Curtis Samuel. Number 5 was cornerback Garyon Conley. Number 4 was defensive end Sam Hubbard. Number 3 was linebacker Raquan McMillan. Number 2 was center Pat Elfline. And number 1 was quarterback JT Barrett. Man, I... 
I feel like I need to redo my list. My list, <laughs> my is, my list, list is my list like is different than that. So my okay. list is different than that too. So what we'll do is uh, we have a couple questions from you guys that we'll get to at the end of the uh, podcast. I, I'd like to talk briefly, briefly about Rutgers Ohio State uh, at the end here. Um, just talk a little bit about Chris Ash. The Buckeyes host Rutgers and former assistant Chris Ash at noon on Saturday. We, of course, will all be there covering that game for you. So we'll get to some other things, but I think this ranking is an interesting way to sort of analyze this team right now. So I'll start with my number 10, and then you guys tell me if you have this person anywhere on your list. And I sort of did this on purpose because I did remember this. I didn't reference the list from before the season, but this stuck out to me. So my number 10 is Cam Johnston, who was number 10 before the season. Um, I think Ohio State ranks second in the nation in uh, punting. Um, I was looking at some of their uh, national stats earlier today. Um, He was great against Oklahoma. He was a game changer against Oklahoma. I called Cam Johnston the MVP of the team last year. Um, I think he does his job as well as anybody on this team does his job. And I think we have seen the past couple years – with Urban Meyer, how important that punt game is to them. And so just as a point of reference, net punting, which is the overall value of the punt minus the return, they're averaging 47.2 yards per net punt. That's second in the nation. So Cam Johnson is my number 10. I have Cam Johnson number 10 too. I have him higher than that. <laughs> okay. I told you, Bill, before we did this that there was somebody that was going to be disappointed if he wasn't in the top 10 because you are the leader of the Cam Johnston for the Ray Guy Award. So I'm glad he's in your top 10. I thought he was going to be higher on your list. I'm surprised to hear that he's number 10 on Doug's list. A little but surprised this, And I think the reasoning, the, mine's simple. I kept him number 10 because he was number 10 on the preseason list, and he's doing what we knew he would do. And the reason why he wasn't higher on our preseason list is because of his position. And if that was our line of thinking at the beginning of the year, then I didn't change my line of thinking. He's very good. He was very good before the year. He was good last year. He's still good. He's still number 10. By the way, I did a thing before the season of if you could make a team of Buckeyes, of current NFL guys, they have a player at every position in the NFL currently except punter. I think that will change next year when Cam Johnston is an NFL punter. But, Bill, where did you have him? I have him eighth. I buy that completely. I did. I mean, I don't watch every punter in the country. Obviously, I think he's really, really good, and I think he's different. Like just the way he punts the ball is weird. He does that rugby style, and he seems to have almost an unnatural control over where the ball goes. I don't know. We were talking. We talked on last week, and he plays it off. I said, like, you might be the best punter in the country. And no one knows about you because you don't punt that much. And he's like, yeah, I don't really care about that. And I said, you're my favorite for the Ray Guy Award. He said, yeah, I don't really care about that either. But I think he might actually be the best punter in the country. Um, and he won't end up winning the Ray guy because he just, he's just not going to punt the ball enough. But he's second in the country in average punting yards. Um, he's punted 11 times. Eight of them have been inside the 20. And only one of them has been a touchback, which I think is like a pretty crazy ratio. And only two of them have been returned. And part of that is credit to Ohio State's coverage team. They have really fast guys working as gunners. Um, but I'm just really impressed with, with the way that Cam Johnston man- manipulates a football. And he can, Mervyn Myers has put it on a two yard line, and more often than not, he does that. And I don't know how many punters in the country can do that with the accuracy and, and the level at which he does it. It's really, really impressive. And you said he's better at his job than, than anyone else on the team. I think I agree with that. And uh, I know punting's not sexy, and it's not something that gets talked about a bunch, but Ohio, State has, Ohio State has a really good one. And I like Cam Johnson a lot. I think uh, 
I feel like if he wanted to, he could punt it 65 yards every time. Yeah. But like you said, that's a good word. Manipulate is what he does to the ball. He seems to be more in control of exactly where it's going than most guys you see. Yeah. That he's really good at putting it in a corner. He's really good at sort of like, do I want this to have hang time? Do I want this one to be lower? He's almost like a golfer. It's like he, I yes. think we've talked about that before, but like he swings his leg like he's from a golf club. And when a golfer hits a golf ball, they don't just hit it. They know exactly how high, how low, what direction they want it to go. And it feels like that when he's punting. And it's, and that when we talked, we tracked it all last year, how many punts inside the 20 he had. He, you see so many punts where sometimes a guy, if a team's punting from their own 40 and a guy booms it, mm-hmm. and it's like, wow, that guy had a really great 60 yard punt, it goes in the end zone. Right. And then it's only a 40 yard net. It feels like he doesn't do that. But if he's going to do that, he will kick it. And then he kicks it 53 yards and they down it at the seven. I don't know how many times. I mean, surely it's happened. But I don't know how many of his kicks have actually gone into the end zone. And I bet it's like maybe 5% of his kicks. Maybe even less than that. He's really good at keeping the ball out of the end zone. The gunners are really good at getting down there too. And people – I don't know if it's because the ball is like difficult to handle with the way he kicks it. But people don't even try to return him half the time. It's, just, it's crazy to me how – and he's – Urban Meyer has talked about field position so so much since he's been here and how Ohio State's always top five in the country in field position, and he's the reason. Because Ohio State doesn't punt off, but when it does, Cam Johnson is putting the defense in a really Perfect bad spot. Perfect his first punt in Oklahoma. I mean, was it 68 yards, is that what it was? I think he was punting from inside his own 15, and uh, Oklahoma started throwing like 15. I don't know. All the one yeah, of I'm both not very good at math. All, I, the entire flip of the field. They went three and out, then Ohio State was starting at the 50. I wrote about this after the game in observations. All, all but one of Oklahoma's drives started inside Oklahoma's 35-yard line, and Cam Johnson punted five times in that game. Uh, and it's funny to think about, we're doing like, it's like 10 minutes of solid hunting podcasting. I still remember this. They had a thing a couple years ago on signing day where they had a little bit of numbers crunch when they were still um, at 82 scholarships because they had the three scholarship reduction because of NCAA sanctions. They had this punter committed kid from Florida, Johnny Townsend, who flipped on signing day. And it was like a question at the time, did he just flip? Was he sort of squeezed out by numbers? He ended up signing with Florida. I remember I talked to, I think his dad soon after, and it was like, hey, did you get the short end of the stick here by Ohio State? And it seemed like, no, it was okay. You know, he wound up at Florida. I think he was, I don't know if he's Florida's punter right now. He was at least at some point Florida's punter. And then it was like, what are they going to do? They literally had no puncher. And then they found Cam Johnston. And they found arguably the best punter in the country. That's a lot of punting talk. Yeah, that was... I don't know if we can be as effusive about numbers one through nine as we were about Cam Johnston. But you know what? That's our ode to the guy. He deserves it. If he's not going to be higher on the list because he's restricted by his position, we gave him ten minutes. Now we'll be more brief if we move forward. Let's tag him uh, on Twitter. Yeah. He knows some, some Australian punting fan right. retweets of this podcast. Number nine for me. Again, so that was Cam Johnston. Ten for me, ten for Ari, eight for Bill. Number nine for me is Billy Price. You talked about trying to judge guys on the offensive line. I feel like at the beginning of the year when Urban Meyer talked about the veterans that they were leaning on, he always talked about Raquan McMillan, JT Barrett, and Pat Elfline. And I feel like once the season has started – Maybe it's him going out of his way. Maybe it's just natural. He talks about Elfline and Price together now because Billy Price is one of those six returning starters. There have been a couple photos that Ohio State has like retweeted of like 
Billy Price with his big gigantic arms making a block, and you can see Mike Weber coming through a hole with Billy Price on one side and Pat Alphon on another. I feel like overall the offensive line has played well. There were only two returning starters in that offensive line. I will tell you that Pat Elfline for me is higher than this, so he's on this list, and I thought the offensive line needs at least two guys in the top ten. For me, that's still Billy Price, a third-year starter who seems to be doing his job very well. Uh, I don't have him in my top ten. Do you? He's number seven on my Really? Okay. Uh, I guess I'll explain why I don't have him. I, I think he's really good. Um, he's had his struggles. I think people are aware of that, but I think he's been a really solid offensive lineman. For Ohio State, the reason I didn't have him in the top 10 uh, is because of penalties. He's had four penalties this year. He's given more penalties than anyone else in the offensive line. And I do think that's a little glaring for a guy who's a fourth-year junior, um, who's a leader in all those things you said. doesn't mean he's playing poorly. I think he's actually been playing pretty well. Um, and is a huge, like, to have him and Pat off on the middle of the offensive line is a huge thing for Ohio State. But the penalties to me were a little glaring. He was not in my top 10. He's certainly in the conversation through 11 through 15. The reason why he's number seven on mine, I guess, so I'm the highest on poll. What is the website for the AP poll? Poll tracker. Poll tracker. I'm the vote tracker. I'm the highest voter uh, because like what Doug said is, is I don't have a very good grasp on how to evaluate how well an offensive lineman's playing. The, the penalty is a good point, but I noticed that Urban Meyer lumped him in with Pat Elfline um, more often than he had been doing in the past. So his word, I guess, is as good as is going to get for me in terms of my evaluation of an offensive lineman and how if he misses an assignment or pulls the wrong direction or does something, I guess if a play's blown up, it's obvious, but it's very hard for us to tell what an assignment is. But for the most part, I think given Ohio State has no proven, excuse me, had no proven playmakers coming into the season from a uh, skill position standpoint, uh, they've had a very productive offense, and I don't think we can escape having top two in the top ten. Uh, Pat Elfland is far ahead of him on that list. Uh, but I think that we've heard Billy Price's name enough in discussion to warrant him being number seven. I agree, and I think the penalties are a good point, um, especially for guard. I think a couple of them are holding penalties, a couple false starts, so it's like I don't know why a guard is false starting. He's yeah. trying to get out of the blocks on a pole or something. Sometimes if a tackle has a false start, it's like you're worried about a speed rusher and you drop your right. foot a little bit. It happens. Um, but I think Billy Price is a really good player. I think he's an NFL player eventually. Yeah. You know, I think it'll be interesting to see Pat Elfline came back for a fifth year. Uh, will Billy Price come back for a fifth year next year? I don't know. I sort of joked with him earlier this season, like, hey, you know, this will be your offensive line next year when you're back, right? He's like, oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, you can all, all these guys. I mean, it's like we we had our roster breakdown earlier. They don't have many seniors on this team. They have a ton of guys who could go if they want to. And I yeah. think Billy Price is an NFL guard. He's got the strength for it. I think he's quick enough for it. Uh, it's just a matter of whether he wants to come back next okay, year. Okay, so somebody re- reveal there next. Number eight for me Okay, is Chris Worley. Uh, Bill, I think, has made some good points this year about Chris Worley being better in coverage than he is expected. I feel like Chris Worley um, is a, an emotional leader from this defense. I think you can see that by just watching him. I think you can see it just sort of by the way he handles himself when he talks to us. Um, he is up there in tackles also, which is not surprising that a linebacker is up there, but he is second uh, on the team in tackles with 18 behind only Raekwon McMillan. So I thought Chris Worley, who was a guy that we wondered going into the year, would he hold off Jerome Baker for a starting spot? Um, I thought Chris Worley deserved to be in the top 10. Uh, I went back and forth on him. I had him I had him at 10, and I crossed him out, and I put someone else there. And we'll talk about that someone else maybe. Um, down the line, but uh, I have no problem with Chris Worley being in someone's top 10. I think he's been really good, uh, better than I expected him to be. 
um, which is what I wrote after the Tulsa game, I believe. Um, yeah, I think he does everything everything that's asked of him at a pretty high level, which I didn't really expect. Uh, he is not in my top ten. Uh, I could see why he would be in the top ten, um, and I don't have a problem with that. I just feel like the other nine guys, uh, or the other ten guys that I had, all deserve to be in there a little bit more. Um, but there's no question about it that Worley has, I mean, coming into the season, I think the general thought was they said a bunch of nice things about him last year that he could replace Darren Lee just because he's a guy on the roster. But it turns out that they were very confident in his ability from the get-go. He came into camp, won a leadership role, has a very uh, important role in this defense, and has been productive on the field. I, I would say that I am pleasantly surprised by the production and the uh, you know overall um, presence that he's had for this defense. There are two guys that are not in my top ten that I think are in both your top tens. And I'm not exactly sure why I didn't put them in my top ten, but I think it will be an interesting discussion when we get to them. So I think that's one of the reasons I have Worley in my top ten and you don't. You two don't. Because we're going to get to the end of my top ten and you guys are going to say, where's that guy? Why didn't you put him in? And I think I know what that guy is. And that guy on my list is very low. So, so I, it'll be, it, I this think, will get more interesting as we yeah. go on. Number seven for me is Mike Weber. Uh, he's been really good. Um, I think he's he's their leading rusher. I think Curtis Samuel is still a more dangerous tailback, is a more dangerous overall um, offensive threat. Um, I thought maybe Mike Weber early on wasn't wasn't finishing runs the same way Ezekiel Elliott did and, and getting away from those ankle tackles and stuff, but I feel like Late, maybe the last couple, you know, they've only played three games. He has been doing that. Um, he is averaging 117 rushing yards per game. He's getting 18 carries per game, and he has been more productive than I thought he would be. Curtis Samuel is a great compliment to him, but he's still sort of like number one at tailback, so he's my number seven. I'm looking at my list, and there's a few people now that I'm looking at it uh, that are off mine that you're going to look at me like I'm crazy too, and it might be the same person. Um, but Mike Weber is not in my top 10. Um, I think he's been very good, um, but I don't think he's been much of a game-breaker. I don't know if you guys agree with that. I think he's made some plays. He's going to score. He's going to be a, a guy. He's averaging 100, 117 yards per game. The numbers are there, but I don't know. When I watch him so far, I don't get the sense that he's changing games or doing things that other running backs of a uh, you know, similar skill set couldn't do. I don't know if he's transcendent. Um, so I left him off so far. 6.5 yards per carry so far. Yeah, I think if you would have asked me this after the Tulsa game, I would have had, not have even given Mike Weber a thought because I just thought he was fine and not super impressive. I thought he was pretty good against Oklahoma. He's not in my top 10, but I thought about him because of the way he played against Oklahoma. I wanted to see some things from him in terms of being able to sort of maybe bounce a run outside if there's not something in there on the inside or, or create something out of nothing, which is not – he didn't have to do that against Bowling Green and Tulsa, and he did have to do that a little bit against Oklahoma – uh, I thought he did it pretty well. I think he had like 130-something rushing yards against Oklahoma. Uh, I think he's good. I think he's going to get better. He's not a game-breaker or transcendent, like Ari said, though I, I would argue he hasn't had to be either. Um, but I think he could become a, a really, really good running back and a star running back. He's just not there for what I think what we could be seeing, too, is that Mike Weber is in the infantry, infancy of his you know, role here. Yeah. And, you know, Ezekiel Elliott turned out to be a very good player, uh, but if you go back and you remember his first five to seven games, yeah. it wasn't like he was like, oh my God, that's Eddie George again. No, I mean, Mike Weber has done more in Hurts' first three games right. than Ezekiel Elliott so, in his first three So given games, that we're yeah. doing this after only three games, he might not make it, but if we did it again after week nine, and he might make my list. I still think he has a little bit more proving to do, but I think he's been impressive in his young start so far. 
All right, I'm going to just say my number six, and then I'll let you guys jump in because I have a feeling you might have this guy even higher okay. than I have him, and I think he's an interesting guy to discuss. Number six for me is Marshawn Lattimore. At cornerback, three picks this year. Obviously, it's flashed. I have him higher. Do you have him higher? I have him at nine. I have him at four. I think he's the best defensive back on the team. And maybe I'm getting way ahead of myself. Defensive back? Best defensive back on the team. I think he's. I know Gary Conley is like the next guy Not in line. Not just corner. Best defensive back okay. on the team. He's big. He's fast. And that play he made on an interception against Oklahoma, he was three steps behind that guy when that ball got released, and he beat him to the ball. And it wasn't a great throw. I understand that. Baker Mayfield didn't lead his receiver. But that was an incredible play, I thought. He is a an incredible athlete. He's six foot one. He's 200 pounds. He runs like a deer. He's a good cover guy. If he is healthy and stays healthy the whole year, he's out of here. He's gone. He's bigger and better, I think, than Gary Conley and Eli Apple. What's crazy is that, like, he's number nine on my list right now. He wasn't in our top ten at the beginning of the year, and he could be a top twenty pick conceivably if things go. Where was he beginning of the year? Can we look that up? I'll look it up while you guys talk Uh, about him. Yeah, but like then all of a sudden, it's funny how quickly people go from. How are they going to get all these guys in the recruiting class to Marshawn Lattimore's gun early? <laughs> and I think we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. And the one thing that I don't know, um, and I have when we get to Conley, and Conley ranked in an interesting place too, I can't get out of my head of if Marshawn Lattimore is in the beginning phases of a career that's going to lead to a top first round pick, why on earth they insist on rotating? And I understand that if they have guys, and I wrote the story on Saturday about how they enjoy having four guys at cornerback, but if you had a truly transcendent first-round talent on your team, why is he only playing partially? I think maybe because you don't want his hamstrings to explode. Right, yeah. and that's part of it, but then Gary on Conley is in the same discussion because he's been rotating too and has no history of injury until recently. So I'm just trying to figure out the... You know, it's like he's very good. That interception Bill referred to was very impressive. He scored touchdowns. He's been a noticeable impact player. We've heard over and over and over again for the first few years of his career about how good he is, but the hamstrings held him back. I'm still trying to – I don't know if I want to go overboard in the first three games. And, like, I'm trying to not overreact as much as I did about what I thought this team would do after one game. But, like, I think that maybe Marshawn Lattimore – that he's in the top 10 is a huge jump for us. Where do we have him, Bill? 17. So I, I moved him up. That was pretty high yeah. for a guy who had never played. Which was 10 through 50. Right? Yeah, which yeah. is the whole team. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, I think 9 is a fair place, but I also buy 4. So I don't, I don't, I'm not really against either of those. No, I mean, I think, I think like ceiling, raw talent, ceiling, skills in his position. Like, certainly has the ability to be a top five guy, but the idea of, like, it's only three games in, he still hasn't right. done much. I and not playing just a five nine. Too. Yeah. I think, I I mean, we have, so again, Bill has him four, I have him six, Ari has him nine. I it's think like you can average. make your case for anything in there. And, like, if you add all of our thought processes together, then you add them up, the yeah. average is six, and yeah. that's the middle, so. All right, getting to the top five. My number five is Rayquan McMillan. Um, he's their leading tackler. He's the heart of the defense. And I don't know what else to say about him at the moment. Like he, that's right. That's like, a, that's right. Like, and and this is not. I mean, it's it's sort of an unsophisticated way of saying it. it's like well, he doesn't. He hasn't scored any touchdowns. Yeah. Like he hasn't. You know, Malik Hooker and Marshawn Lattimore and maybe defensive ends who are getting after quarterbacks have more opportunities 
to Flash, but he just has not uh, jumped off the, the field uh, enough for me to put him any higher than five. But I think that you would certainly not want to be in a situation where you're trying to think about this defense without him. You know what I think about linebacker? Like, you know, Monte Teo when he was at Notre Dame, like how he was all over the place, it felt like. When you like, yes. watched a Notre Dame game at Monte Teo's last year, and I don't know why I used him as the example, but he's like just the one that popped he into my He had invited to New York for the Heisman. Yeah, I've heard it for him from the Heisman yeah. first. So, oh, like, that is what I think of, like, linebackers who... Raekwon McMillan doesn't... You, when you watch Ohio State, you can watch an entire Ohio State game and not realize he's on the field. I think and for I, Ohio State fans, that's like... Right? Andy Katzenmoyer was, was like, like that. You knew where he was. Like, yeah, like, you don't know where he is. I put him at three. And it was hard for me to put him at three because of that reason. Of, like, this is the best player on your team, supposedly. He's good. No doubt an early departure to the NFL. But, like, he does lead the team in tackles. And if he leads the team in tackles, even if he's not, I mean, what is he going to be? Seven? I just, I, I kept him where he was. But I do agree with Doug of, like, it was kind of hard to put him at three because you watch Ohio State play and he doesn't Monte tail it. He doesn't. 20 tackles, which leads the team, and 1.5 tackles for loss. I have him third also, um, and it was difficult for me to put him there too, but I, it's it's the position. He's a middle linebacker in a 4-3 defense, which I think doesn't lend itself to becoming a superstar or playing like one or appearing like one. I think, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think Manti Teo might have been in the 3-4. And just it's, it's all about like yeah. being in a position to make plays that aren't just like stuffing the run. Which I think is what Rayquan McMillan does. I think he's a very, just a very solid, good middle linebacker. But like you covered AJ Hawk, right? Yeah, but AJ Hawk was an outside linebacker too. I mean, AJ Hawk would run sideline to sideline and, and track a guy down and tackle him. Yeah, know? Rayquan's in the middle of this defense, and I think oftentimes this defense is designed for the outside linebackers to make more plays. You know, but, Anthony Schlegel, when they had three really good linebackers, when I got on the beat in 05, Anthony Schlegel was the middle linebacker, and Bobby Carpenter and AJ Hawk on the outside were the outside linebackers who made plays. Ryan Shazier was a crazy playmaker here. He was an outside linebacker. Yeah, Darren Lee, really. crazy playmaker, outside linebacker. And we're who seeing it the, now with Jerome, are we thinking, Jerome Baker. Well, why don't we do really. the converse of this? And you've been on the beat long, but who was the last middle linebacker that you felt was a transcendent playmaker? James Laurinaitis. And like he... And he was criticized by people for not for being not Andy Katzenberg. Yeah. <laughs> but James Laurinaitis, I feel like... Um, I thought James Laurinaitis was excellent, excellent at reading the play and knowing where the running back was going and getting in the hole and making a stop and being a guy who had 17 tackles. You know, he, Rayquan McMillan leads the team. He's averaging less than seven tackles per game. Yeah. So, um, you know, if he was, if he had 12 tackles per game at this point, you know, and if that's not the only thing it's about, but he's not, he hasn't been the first guy to the ball carrier every time someone tries to run. I've watched three Ohio State games and I can't remember thinking, holy crap, what a play. I just don't think he plays a position that lends itself to that. I agree. I haven't felt yeah, that but way. But I still put him at three because if they think he's good and he's an NFL guy. and that, I, I, Let me ask a quick question. Is he your highest-ranked defensive player for both of you? Yes. Yes. Him at three? Okay. yes. So, I mean, it, you know, he's the best player on the defense, on a really good defense. So, I mean, that's – But he's not the flashes. Yeah. Okay. Right. Number four, JT Barrett. He had the pick six in the first drive against Bowling Green, has not thrown an interception since then, has 10 touchdown passes, um, has been leading the offense. But I think there are three guys who have been more outstanding. So that's it. 
I have him seventh. And I thought about... You think like, there are six guys who have been more outstanding? No, well, on the offense, I have uh, one, two... Just two guys ahead of him okay. from the offense. Um, I think JT Barrett's been fine. Uh, I think he's... Since that pick six, like you said, he's 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 played well. Um, I asked him on Monday about not being the flashiest guy in the world, and I'll have had a story about that um, this week about him and, and as it pertains to the Heisman Trophy. Um, he's just not the flashiest quarterback, kind of like a great McMillan. But I also think that I think there are a lot of guys. I mean, not a lot, but there are guys out there who I think who could be ha- could be having the same amount of success that JT Barrett is now having in this offense. I don't view JT Barrett as a transcendent quarterback. I think he's a very solid quarterback. He does exactly what Ohio State needs him to do. But I just think there are better player, better football players on this team than JT Barrett. I think that's very fair. I have him at two. I think just first of all, if you're going to penalize Cameron Johnston for his position, then you also have to go on the other end of the spectrum and reward the most important position. Does that make sense? Yeah, he's yeah. a quarterback. Yeah. Um, so... And I think going into the um, – and that was my exact thought process going into it. Um, he gets a certain level of um, bump on this list for just playing the position he plays. And going into the Oklahoma game, I always thought, like, he's put up a lot of monster numbers. He's had a lot of good games. He was fifth in the Heisman race, as everybody likes to remind you, two years ago. But he also lacked a sense of production in big games because either, A, he didn't play well, or, B, he just didn't play in them. Uh, in the past. He didn't play in any of the playoff games um, uh, in the 2014 season. He lost to Michigan State last year. It wasn't like he was big game Bob, you know what I mean? He had a great game against Michigan State in 2014 at Michigan State. So, But coming off the biggest game of the year for Ohio State so far, the year that the game that we all thought they were going to lose before the beginning of the season, the guy had four touchdown passes. And I know that there might have been a mismatch with Noah Brown, but he gets credit for throwing it. Four touchdown passes and no interceptions. 14 for 20, 152 yards, four touchdowns, and then you rush for 75. So, to me, if he gets it done in a big game and he's the quarterback and he does what they need to do in the system, he's the second best player on the team and he gets a little bit of a bonus for playing quarterback. Reminded me another guy that's not in my top 10 that I think is in your top 10. <clears throat> Number three is Malik Hooker. Um, I think he may have been, you know. After two games, it may have been higher. Even, I think, Bill, you made some points that he might have gotten beat on a couple plays here and there. Uh, but he is, a, he is a spectacular playmaking athlete at safety who I think has also quickly learned the position as a guy uh, who, as we all know, was a high school basketball player. Um, he's made some plays at safety that not many people could make. And so for me, he is the top-ranked guy from this defense – um, he might not be perfect every play, but I feel like he has shown enough that makes me believe that for the rest of the season, he is going to be a guy that's going to make huge plays with this defense and is going to make a difference and can be the kind of guy that might win you a game. That's interesting. He's a top-ranked guy in the defense. It means you have somebody pretty good, I think, not on your list. Um, yeah, I have Hooker sixth, and I toyed with putting him higher, and I think I could have. Um, I think he's a little raw still which is hard to see maybe when he's running around like a madman playing center field and making crazy interceptions. Um, I thought there were some plays against Oklahoma where he missed some tackle maybe that he should have had or, or lost a guy in coverage, but you know, he's been, hasn't been playing football that long. Um, he's an incredible athlete. Like we've talked about basketball player, all that stuff. Um, he's a really good safety. I have him sixth. If you wanted to put him higher than six, I'd listen. Cause I think he's been a really kind of dynamic player on the back end of that defense. Three? three. I have him five. And I think that, like, all of our thinking is the same. And on my list, he's my second highest 
defender. So there was a clue for me because I had McMillan three. So if that gives you an idea of who I might left off my list too uh, from the defense. But I just agree that from a physical freakness, and I hate that word. I don't want to use freak. We just agree that we're not going to call him a freak. That was the last time. I'll agree. I just did it, and it was like I disgusted myself. Everybody you know what he calls is? Him a freak. He's a freak. He's a freak. No, but seriously, some of the plays he's made, um, I just think that, like, does he have, like, Von Bellness to him? Even more than Von Bell. It, like, he turns out he's more Von Bell than Von, Von Bell, Bell was, yeah. at least last year. Well, the thing that Von Bell was that I think we haven't seen Malik Hooker be yet is, like, a missile into the backfield that, like, sh- completely shuts down a play on the perimeter. Von Bell was awesome at that. Like, he wrote about that last defense? year. Yeah. yeah. Well, even, like, screen yeah. players or whatever. Like, Doug wrote about Darren Lee and Von Bell being really good at that. Yeah, that's We true. haven't seen that yet. That's true. That's a very good point. Um, but I'm comfortable with him at five. I think that we're all kind of on the same page with him. And sometimes I think if he's your second highest defender, and he's my second highest defender, I think he's, he's my highest defender. Who's he your is, second? He's uh, fourth. The fourth highest defender. Yes. Okay, so we're not all on the same page here. But I think uh, five, six, and three is very similar. Number two for me is Curtis Samuel. Uh, Urban Meyer said it before the season when we were trying to figure out what position he was. He said in July at Big Ten Media Days, he's our number one playmaker. And he has been. I think they have used him very effectively, both at tailback and in the slot. Ari has talked about this, how he's even better than Ari expected in terms of being that playmaker. He can catch it. He has some shiftiness with his moves. He's fast. Um, I think you could make a case for Curtis Samuel at number one because I do think he makes this offense go. He makes Mike Weber better. He makes the outside receivers better. He makes JT Barrett better. Um he is among the, the leaders in the nation in yards from scrimmage. Um, he is their leading receiver. He's averaging 86 receiving yards per game and 86 rushing yards per game, which is nuts. And so, again, I have him two, and I think he could be one. Well, that's good because he's number one on the list. Um, and the reason why is everything that you just said. Ohio State came into a season, uh, and the number one thing was who's going to make plays in this offense, and I wasn't sure that Curtis Samuel was the answer, and he has been the answer. And if you found the answer at H-back in the true hybrid that Urban Meyer's been talking about, then that has to mean something. And if we don't want to put JT Barrett number one, or we don't even want to put him on our top five, Bill, how important (laughs) is having a guy like that on this team? And, uh, you know, I I just think that for everything that you just said, um, the pleasant surprise that he's been at for Ohio State, maybe the top. if Urban Meyer's calling you the top playmaker on this offense, and you've backed it up in big games, then you deserve to be number one on my list. I have him number two. I thought about putting a number one as well. He's number 11 in the country in all-purpose yards per game, but there are a lot of guys ahead of him who are like kick returners or like guys who just have 600 rushing yards. If you if you take guys if out you of you go well, you, you can search by search by yards from scrimmage. That's another category. We're looking at uh, CFBStats.com. Shout out to CFBStats.com, which is our ad brought to you by yeah yards from scrimmage per game. He is fifth in the country with 173. Um, he's really good, better than I thought he'd be. Plus receiver, I thought I thought he'd be a pretty good running back because I thought he flashed a little bit as um, as the backup in 2014. I did not think he'd be as dynamic as he's been in the receiving game out of the slot. No one can cover him. He's been a real matchup nightmare for all three teams Ohio State's played, and I think it's going to continue to be that way because I just don't know if there's a linebacker, outside linebacker in the country who can cover Curtis Samuel one-on-one. He's really good. And my number one, this is the guy I said last week was, to me, the MVP of the offense is Pat Elfline. Um, it might be weird to have a center be number one on your list, but 
they've just flashed enough. That Ohio State loves to put out the team videos. It seems like when they put out team videos of stuff in the locker room, you can see him on the field before the game. I think he's the guy that, that people on this team listen to. Bill, you, you wrote in the offseason a lot. He's the one guy who could have gone and didn't go. He's the fifth-year senior who returned when everybody else turned pro. And I feel like he is the rock at the middle of this very, very good team that's ranked second in the country. Remember when he came to Ohio State as a throw-in because they couldn't recruit anybody? <laughs> it's unbelievable to me that he's the number one player uh, on anyone's list. Um, and I believe that that is a good argument. He's number four on mine. And now I feel like I'm too low. And, no, I think you're fine. Like I, uh, You know, but like it's again. Uh, I mean, Urban Meyer said on his radio show on Thursday that they would be like toast without him. Yeah. And I thought that was a very strong thing to say. Of like, we would be dead to rights without this guy. So maybe I should have put him higher on second thought. Uh, but I thought that putting a center in the top four, given the quarterback, the H-back, and the captain of the defense within front of him was a fair place to put him. It's hard to put a center that high. I, I mean, yeah. I, 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 I have him number one also. Uh, for all the reasons Doug said. Um, God, he's, I'm off base. Then. That, that, it's, they, that offensive line was so young coming into the season. And it could have been terrible if they weren't good. And they've been really good. And he's the not the main reason, but most of the reason. He keeps that group together. Um, he's kept the young guys calm. He's been playing really well himself. And he's playing hurt, too. He had that shoulder injury in the offseason. I still don't think he's 100%. But he's still playing, and he's playing well. Um, I don't know where he's going to get drafted, but he's most likely going to be the first center drafted, maybe the number two center drafted. He's a really good football player. He's going to be a really good pro. He could have gone pro last year. He came back, and I think he's backing up the reason why he came back because he's going to improve his draft stock even more. And my first year in the beat here in 05, I covered a center that wound up being a first-round pick in Nick Mangold. And Nick Mangold has been the centerpiece of the New York Jets offensive line for a decade, and I think Pat Alfline could be that kind of guy. Okay, so now we're at so, the end of your list. So, who so you- there, were, there, were, there were two players in my top ten – that were that so you're gonna ha- you have two players in your top ten that weren't in mine and Bill you have three, three. players in your top ten who weren't in mine. And Wait, I'll you didn't say have that, Noah Brown in yours. Yeah, I, yeah. The, the three that that I think were the, the strangest that I left out were Noah Brown, Garyon Conley, and Sam Hubbard. Okay, not in my top ten. Sam Hubbard is not in my top ten. Is he in yours? He is number ten. Okay, so Sam Hubbard was what at the beginning of the year? Sam Hubbard was number four. So he he leads the team in sacks with two. One point five. They just haven't. I mean, the Tulsa Bowling Green games. You weren't going to sack anybody. And then I remember I talked to Sam Hubbard after Oklahoma, and he was talking about a play where he beat his guy one on one, and then did not go after Baker Mac Baker Mayfield to try to sack him because they were so worried about containing him. So I feel like three games in, they haven't faced the kind of quarterback where defensive linemen can really get after him. Okay, so what was your reasoning for leaving them off? Just not dynamic to the point of standing out the way I felt 10 other guys had. I don't think he's been bad by any stretch. I feel like mostly it's the offense that they face so far and lack of opportunity for any defensive lineman to really stand out. Because I think we're all on the same page. Even though you left yours off, I had him at, I had him off too, and you had him at 10. Right. And you said you were considering other people for 10. I so. actually had I had Jalen Holmes at number 10, and I crossed his name out. I had Chris Worley at number 10, and I crossed his name out, and then I put Sam Hubbard in. Um, I think, not to go on a tangent on Jalen Holmes, I think he's been really good and asked to do some stuff that makes him uncomfortable and done it pretty well. Um, but again, like all the other defensive ends, just hasn't really flashed. I, it was almost like a throw-in. Like I feel like one of these guys should be here, so I'll put Sam Hubbard at 10. But yeah. he hasn't been 
he hasn't, I think, shown the way we maybe expected he would for all the circumstances. I feel like he's just like Raekwon McMillan, but Raekwon McMillan isn't supposed to flash. Yeah. And I feel like a good defensive end is supposed to. Yeah. I mean, and I think, I think he'll get more chances. I mean, I think, um, I think he'll be big in a game like against Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. You know, when they maybe uh, he'll get his chance, I think, to, to show how good he is, or maybe not playing that well. But I, I don't think he's done anything wrong. I just think guys have done more. Um, so that means we're going to the next thing, which so is a hot button issue, and I have Noah Brown at six. Okay, and you don't have him on your I list. Don't have him. And where do you have him, Bill? I have eight, and I almost left him off. Okay, I guy caught four touchdown passes at Oklahoma. And he had a dynamic one. He had a fade. Uh, he's caught. I know he only has nine receptions. Um, but if you're going to win a national championship or you're going to be in the hunt for the playoff, you need an outside threat. And I think that on the biggest stage, when given the opportunity, uh, he played as well as you possibly could. And if we're going to put stock into all three games, I'm going to put the most stock into the game against a competent opponent on the road. And, uh, We've heard, and if I'm going to give other people credit, like Billy Price and Pat Elfline for things that Urban Meyer has said, then I feel like I also have to give Noah Brown credit, even though he only has nine receptions on the year. Especially because he probably had the most impressive individual performance of anybody on the team this year, so far. You know, I know that Malik Hooker had some crazy plays, Marshawn Lattimore had a few crazy plays, Uh, Curtis Samuel's done everything, but like, as a whole, who has had a better individual performance in a game this season, nobody, and it happened in the biggest game of the year. I buy all that. I mean, I think you could kind of poke holes on a four-touchdown game where he was just catching jump balls for guys who couldn't cover him, but I think that's part of it. Guys could not cover him. Uh, JT Barrett's thrown him 12 passes. He's caught nine of them. Uh, JT Barrett said that if you throw the ball Noah Brown's way, he'll catch it, and I think for the most part he's shown that. Um, I think I I discredited Brown a little bit maybe because the passing game hasn't been quite as good as I thought it would be, and that's the same reason I had JT Barrett so low, but um, I do think that Noah Brown is a top ten player on the roster, and they didn't they didn't use him in yeah. the first two games. Again, as we read to the point where we wondered if he was hurting, um, Urban Meyer has said he's still sort of getting back to one hundred percent from the broken leg. Um, again, I you know, I I just I think I held it against him that he obviously made f- four great plays against Oklahoma. It's just he did almost nothing the first two games. But I think already makes a good point that if you're gonna what mattered more, Oklahoma mattered. Um, so I think that the other guy that you guys, I imagine you have in your top 10 that I did not was Gary on Conley. I did. I had him at eight. I had him at five, which I think is too high now that I thought more about it. Um, he, it's like, it's kind of the same thing. He hasn't like a lot of the guys we think, we think they're good. Haven't quite flashed that much. I think that Marshawn Lattimore has flashed more. Willie Cooker has flashed more. Um, Gary on Conley has been rotating with Denzel Ward and Marshawn Lattimore, which I didn't think would be the case, um, which to me suggested maybe his skill level and talent is more on par with those guys than I thought it right, was. Right, right, yeah. Which is why maybe I shouldn't have, have him five, but that's where I have him right now. That's why he's eight on my list, because it's like I thought it was Gary on Conley's the cornerback, and the other two are rotating to figure out who the other guy is. Yeah. I did not know that Gary on Conley was going to be a part of the rotation, and that's why Kerry Combs came at me like a madman after the Oklahoma game, yeah. because he was like, you can't count. Right. And I was like, I didn't know I was supposed to even be counting Gary on Conley's reps because I thought that he was your guy. I mean, I, I'm assuming that I made that mistake because I didn't bother to look at the other corner because I was trying to see who the opposite guy was. Did you think that Gary on Conley was part of the rotation? I mean, they had talked about 
resting Garyon Conley more, but I did not think it was part of a rotation. No. Of a four man rotation. No. So and he has a he has a pick this year, so he has made a play. Um but the the thing that I think kept him out of my top ten was he was hurt for the second half against Oklahoma. And I felt like they didn't miss a beat. Good point. So that, that may be more about Damon Arnett and Denzel Ward and Marshawn Lattimore being very good than it is that Garrett. You had Lattimore not. what? I had Lattimore. Uh, I had Lattimore sixth, and Conley not on the list. So again, that's uh, a pretty big. That's a big difference. If you yeah. would have said that before the year, we would have looked at you funny. Sure, absolutely. And I think, I mean, if I was going to do it, I probably would have gone Brown 11, Conley 12, you know. Um, but again, I mean, and I think, you know, what is it? Is that a testament to their depth? That like, you know, it doesn't mean that Garon Conley's not doing his job. It just means that maybe Damon Arnett's a really good fourth corner. And it's like such a, really good as a third corner. It's such a weird situation because at Cleveland.com, we find ourselves on not writing those stories about uh, rotation and trying to, like, buy all the things because, like, that was the whole thing. Like, Doug got into a argument with Kerry Combs about the idea and the premise of rotating guys. And then on Saturday, I wrote a story about Ohio State's cornerback rotation, and I used some of the quotes that I got from Norman, and he was almost offended that we didn't believe him. But it's like, I can't decide. What is, what is it? Which one is it? Is it they're all really, really good, or they're all okay? I think... It's more that they're good. And I yep. think they felt like they learned a lesson last year when Conley and Eli Apple both had a huge number of reps at corner. Conley, before the season, when I asked him, did say he felt like he wore down a little bit. Um, and so I think they believe they had better depth at corner than they ever had before. And that it's not that Gary on Conley isn't good. It's that. It's that a just, fresh Damon Arnett and a fresh Denzel Ward are better than a tired Gary on Conley and a tired Marshawn Lattimore. Not that when they're all fresh, Conley and Lattimore aren't the two best, but I think that's the distinction. And I think they've talked the talk before about rotating and never walked the walk. And But when they did it against Oklahoma, that's the proof. It's such a weird distinction to me because I just feel like, I don't know. I mean, but it's like you see in basketball. I mean, and that's why LeBron James doesn't play 48 minutes. It's not that LeBron James isn't the best player on the court like every minute he's on the court. Yeah. But at some point, if you play him 48 minutes over the course of the season, over the course of the game, you're not going to get the best of him. It's just weird because we have ranked Marshawn very high. And why have we ranked Marshawn high? Because he has a tan- – and Malik Hooker for the same reason. He has a tangible impact on the game from a playmaking ability. So I struggle with the idea of that person not being on the field. For any amount of time. And that's just kind of like my... And I see what you're saying. I don't disagree with you. It's just like... I just feel like... Um, which And I think you're... Do, which is why they haven't rotated before. Yeah. Because they have wanted to do it, but they have thought exactly what you just thought. How can we take these guys off the field? But something has changed. They Their thinking has changed. And I don't know if that's the thinking has just changed or that the personnel has changed enough to allow them to implement the thinking. Yeah, it's probably the personnel. Because I mean, before, we talk a lot about the level that they're recruiting at. And it's like, well, they have four four-star defensive backs. How are they all going to play? This is how they're all going to play. Even if there's an inch's worth of difference in their talent level, they're going to roll all four. So I wonder if there's a scenario in the future of Ohio State football where everybody rotates everything. Like, is there going to be oh, a quarterback? 
other than quarterback. Well, I mean, that's is there going to be a rotating receiver, rotating safeties, rotating corners, and rotating okay. right guards? Line. I mean, I think. I don't I think, think you rotate offensive line. Offensive line, I think cohesion matters. But I, this, that's why I think when Dante Booker is healthy, they're going to play Jerome Baker and Dante Booker because we are seeing it. We're seeing it at receiver. We're seeing it at defensive line where we have seen that before. But we're also seeing it at a place where we haven't seen it. We're seeing it at corner, which makes me believe that maybe Luke Fickle at linebacker is going to rotate Booker and Baker and Worley in a way that we've never seen before because I do think legitimately if you say, all right, we have three good outside linebackers. Right? What are we going to do? Before you would have said, well, we'll play the two best and the other guy's ready. Now I think they'll rotate. So like, here's the last question. I mean, this is so interesting to me. They didn't rotate very much in 2014 and they won a national title that year. Was there just a bigger talent gap between the guys on the field and the young guys in 14? Or is it possible that Ohio State feels like from a youth standpoint that they're more talented now than they were then? Do you see what I'm saying? The distinction between right. those two so things. If, like, if they're not, if they're not, they didn't do it at all in 14, and they ended up winning, the, winning it all. Because in 14, one it was of the, the same scenario. They that, were and they talked yeah. about how close Darren Lee and Chris Worley were. Right. But Chris Worley never played, and yeah. Darren Lee played every single snap. So if so, why would they rotate Booker and Baker when they didn't rotate Lee and Worley two years ago? Because there was more of a difference in their talent. Like, as much as they want to say there's not much of a drop-off from Darren Lee to Chris Worley, clearly there was. Darren Lee was a first-round draft pick. Chris Worley's played really well. When do you think Chris Worley's going to be a first-round draft pick? No. So yeah. I just think there's, there was that much of a discrepancy in the talent from guy number one on the depth chart to guy number two that they didn't rotate. The only, thing, the only place they rotated in 2014 was like defensive line, and that was out of necessity because they were just playing some high-powered offenses. But there's more like... This is what Alabama does. Like this is what we taught. Are they Alabama? This Alabama. Watch Alabama play defense. They change guys like hockey players. It's what you do when you recruit at that level. That's unbelievable. Yeah, no, that's interesting. So, all right, let's do a two-minute breakdown of Ohio State Rutgers again. Uh, Doug Maurice, Bill Landis, and Ari Wasserman here from Cleveland.com. You can find our coverage every day at Cleveland.com/OSU. Uh, a lot of people are talking and writing about Chris Ash coming back to Columbus, two-year assistant at Ohio State, first-year head coach at Rutgers. What is the most interesting thing about Chris Ash coming back to coach against Ohio State? Oh, God. I don't know. I mean, if anything. One thing, <laughs> if anything, thank you for making that distinction. One thing that's interesting to me, and I don't think this is going to have a major effect in the game, but I'm just like poking around looking at some numbers. Rutgers uh, in 2014 was 100th in total defense. The year after that, in 2015, they were 112th in the country in total defense. This year, they're 45th. And we saw Chris Ash, how quickly he revamped Ohio State's defense when he came here. Granted, the talent was at a completely different level than what he's dealing with at Rutgers. But I think you're seeing a little bit of a Chris Ash effect on what Rutgers is doing defensively, at least from a number standpoint. I have not watched them, but they are 45th in the country in total defense, which I think is pretty good and probably higher than maybe we'd anticipate for a team of the talent level of Rutgers. And Urban Meyer said about Rutgers' defense, that's our defense. Right. Yeah, they're going to go out and see their defense on Saturday. I mean, not... I almost was going to ask players about this, but it's kind of offensive. But like to me, it's almost like Ohio State's going to be playing its scout team on Saturday. Oh, right. Yeah, that like, haha. Rutgers is only as good as Ohio State's scout team, but I mean, I mean, we they are facing <laughs> both sides of the ball. They're facing the same scheme. It's going to be like what they go against in practice every day. It is their scout team. It is. Yeah, like Slip, well, we, I don't even have, know if the players are better. Actually, I, don't, I, I honestly do not know if Ohio. We're talking about rotating guys. I don't know who's on their scout team. I mean, it's all the true freshmen all the and true the guys who never play. But, I mean... Like if you ask Chris Ash right now, 
You can take Ohio State's scout team and you can field it as your defense or you can take your defense. Do you think that beyond the shadow of a doubt he would take his own defense? I mean, so I'm sure Keandre Jones is on Ohio State's scout team defense. Four-star, true freshman linebacker from Maryland. Would he be starting for Rutgers? Probably. Right? I mean, I don't don't know Rutgers. Would Jordan Fuller, who's from New Jersey, be starting for Rutgers as a true freshman? Who was brought to Ohio State by Ash? I mean, he probably would, right? Yeah. So, I mean, not to... Not to be mean, but it, it's you like... You know what? A, we can be mean. It's the reality of, you know, we're not allowed to drop an F-bomb, but we can be mean. <laughs> I think he knows the score. He took yeah. the job knowing what it was. It's his job to fix it. It's not It's not supposed to be okay by week four. It's supposed to... If, if this is the things that we're saying about Rutgers in year four, then it's offensive and he should quit his job. But for right now, that's the reality of the situation. Kyle Flood was a terrible recruiter. And we all have mentioned it a million times, and here we go again. You know, it's just, we're not to be nice. So we, let's get that in the headline this week. Yeah. Ohio State facing scout team against yeah. Rutgers. Um, a couple quick questions we ask every week. If you guys have any questions, you can tweet at us uh, during the week, and we'll use them when we get to the podcast. Um, Bo Brammer asks on Twitter, Will the buy help or hurt Ohio State as they prepare for ten, nine for nine straight Big Ten games now? Um, I guess maybe hurt. I think you'd like to have a break in between a nine game stretch, um, particularly when you think like on the road back to back at Wisconsin at Penn State. Maybe like a buy after that or something like that. I don't think it's a major deal. Um, there's a lot of talent on the roster. We've we've heard that they're banged up a little bit. KJ Hill is injured. Justin Hilliard's out for the season. Um, but I think any coach will tell you they prefer to have their buy later in the week than earlier, later in yeah. the season than earlier. I don't know if you mean like is it hurting it that they have it now, or would you prefer it to be later? But I think everybody would prefer it to be later. Right. I think Ohio State's coaching staff in general hates bye weeks, and uh, they're like I have spoken to assistants who just say they'd rather be playing games. And um, so sometimes I kind of wonder like, well, the bye week is is good from a health standpoint. So the only reason why I think later on in the season is better is because you're more likely to be more banged up by playing more games, so it's more advantageous. Um, but I think that nine games in a row is just the reality of college football. You play every weekend. So um, I don't know if I put too much stock into it. I think the assistants would rather be playing games because on the bye week they're out recruiting. They're yeah. out flat. The, the assistants work more during the bye week than the they do that during the regular week. was miserable. I so, mean, Urban yeah. Meyer was squeegeeing the windows to his pool that his wife tweeted during the bye week. I don't think the assistants were squeegeeing. I oh, think by the way, flying. what do you think the odds of him just posing for that picture were or him actually doing it? Because I think he posed for the picture. I don't think he was outside squeegeeing all those windows. That is my hot take of the week. All right, let's ask that. Let's get that question asked. I want to know. Ask him what one I think it's bogus. He didn't that squeegee is, his house. That My dad a, doesn't squeegee his house, and he's not a millionaire. That hot, that hot, I am burning yeah. up from how hot that Mike's, take is. Oh my Mike's god! I just saw that. I'm like, there's no way the guys out there are Muirfield just squeegeeing his windows. All right, last question we'll get to before we hit the hour mark is from John Macon at J A Macon Seven on Twitter. Thanks for the question, John. How worried should Ohio State fans be about the night game at Camp Randall? Ohio State is home against Rutgers, then home against Indiana, then they go. To Wisconsin, that's Camp Randall Stadium. Uh, Wisconsin beat LSU so far. They beat Michigan State. They played Michigan this week in a huge game. How worried should Ohio State fans be? I think you have to wait until you see Wisconsin play Michigan because I thought I thought that maybe Wisconsin Michigan State was going to be a pretty good barometer, and it turns out maybe the Michigan State is not quite as good as I thought it was going to be. 
and Notre Dame continues to throw off the national perception That's of everyone. What I was going to interrupt because <laughs> um, you have to make the point you made in the atrium at the Woody this morning, uh, Monday. Like, just, Notre Dame, just do that that yeah. thing that you did. Well, Notre Dame played Texas close and Texas won, so that made you think Texas was good, but then Texas lost to Cal, so you're like, no, Texas isn't good. Then Notre Dame uh, played Michigan State, and Michigan State beat the crap out of Notre Dame, and you thought, oh, wow, Michigan State's good. Uh, and then Michigan State went and lost to Wisconsin, and Notre Dame lost to Duke, and you realize that it's just that Notre Dame stinks. Yeah. And <laughs> neither Texas nor Michigan State are good because they beat Notre Dame because Notre Dame might go 4-8 and eight when people were putting Notre Dame in the playoff before the year. They were a playoff. Lots of people were predicting them for the playoff. So as you said, Notre Dame has thrown off the entire analysis of college football so far. I think one thing, I have no idea if Wisconsin can beat Michigan, and I think Wisconsin probably can't beat Michigan. If Wisconsin does beat Michigan, is that game going to be number one versus number two? Ohio State, Wisconsin. No, Alabama's not going to. Uh, Alabama and Louisville are still going to be up there. Okay. But yeah. Well, that by the time they play. But it might be 3-4. I mean, like it could, Ohio State, Wisconsin, then could be 2-4 or something like that. 2-3. Right. Because um, Wisconsin could jump. If Wisconsin beats Michigan, Wisconsin's going to jump. But I guess Ohio State couldn't really jump to number two based off who they're playing the next two weeks. Yeah. The question is, I mean, like, like that might be the biggest – Wisconsin-Ohio State game since when? Since Ohio, Ohio State, State Ohio in 2010 State was undefeated, number one, had just gotten to be number one in Wisconsin. They went up to Wisconsin. Wisconsin ran back the opening kickoff and beat them. But what was Wisconsin's situation that year? Were they good still, I think, good. I think they were in the top 20. Yeah. So, I, yeah, it's always crazy to me that, like, you form opinions, and those opinions are based off of beating teams that you're wrong about. Right. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, if Michigan's bad – or Michigan State is bad now because they just got dismantled by Wisconsin, then we have to wait for Wisconsin to actually play a good team again. And it's like, what do you like how many times can that happen before they're good? You know? I think it's possible that both the LSU wins and Michigan State wins were not that great, that Wisconsin is possibly at the moment fake good, and that Michigan might prove that. But if Michigan does prove that, if if Michigan beats them by four touchdowns, then we are full steam ahead toward Ohio State-Michigan State, Michigan. because yeah, it yeah. might turn out to be that the Big Ten is better this year, but it has two monsters. Is that That's this weekend, right? What's, what's 3.30 on Michigan? Saturday. Do you yeah. know the spread? I do not know the spread. I can look it up. For that's always interesting to me, but I think we're wrapping it up and we'll just get to talk about the spread by ourselves. Yes. Yeah. We blew past an hour. We can't help ourselves. We love to hear ourselves talk. Um, God, we're interesting. We didn't even swear. and We don't, we don't need to swear. That's the whole point. Dude, we're no a bombs. We're so interesting that we don't need swear words. What's the line? Uh, Michigan minus ten or minus nine. Sorry, that's interesting. That scares me because I think like a Michigan four touchdown win is absolutely on the table. Like again, the whole like Michigan State and LSU is throwing us off. We think Wisconsin's good. Wisconsin is good, but they're not great, and Michigan's great. I think that's definitely on the table. Or Wisconsin wins. That's my analysis. Um, thank you for <laughs> joining <Mark>. us again. <laughs> For Buckeye Talk, we didn't even have time for a fake ad. Uh, we didn't talk about anything else because we, we just t- told you who the 10 best players are in Ohio State. What I mean, what else do you want? That's what you want from us? We want to know whether Urban Squeegees, or should I just drop it? No, you no, better. You now have you, you have it's to ask there. him Wednesday night. I'm going to. You can't play the sports radio guys who just fire off hot takes and never ask any questions. You gotta, you're gotta. you asking a question. But you know everyone's going to steal your answer. You have to have the story ready to write as soon as you I'm going to pre-write. No, that was just a post picture because that so then I can just hit publish. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't need to hear the answer. Once you I know confirm he, it. I know the man's and why would he do that? 
Why? I'm, okay, that's it. Because he's trying to stay true to his roots. He's trying to stay grounded in reality. Yeah, Just okay. because you make $9 million a year doesn't mean you can't squeegee your windows. I make way less than that $9 million a year, and I would never squeegee your windows. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's Ariel Wasserman with the hot squeegee take. Uh, Bill Landis, Doug Maurice, thanks as always for listening to Buckeye Talk.